Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Who are you rooting for to go to the upcoming Super Bowl? Kansas City plays Baltimore this Sunday to determine the AFC champion. If Kansas City wins, get ready to see fans with what they call headdresses, war paint, and the tomahawk chop chant on the international TV stage. The team is dug in on its Native American theme. Today we'll assess progress of ridding sports of derogatory names. That conversation starts after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Tribal leaders, advocates, California state lawmakers, and law enforcement reviewed the Feather Alert Wednesday, one year after its implementation in California. The alert system is used to notify the public and law enforcement about missing Native American people, especially women and girls. Tribal leaders gathered for a press conference at the state capitol in Sacramento before a hearing on the alert system. Joe James, chairman of the Yurok tribe, says a feather alert was issued just last week for one of his tribal members. little mixed emotion when I think about that, but I'm glad there's a resource and a tool that's there. Murdered and missing indigenous women have been going on for decades. Back to our boarding schools, back to when we were abducted, to remove our identity, to remove us as people. It's, it's an honor here to stand here as a tribal chairman, as a tribal leader, to work my, work my colleagues behind me, to knowing the work that we've done. We've got some ways yet to go, uh, but this can't be done without the legislator, the local law enforcement, our local sheriffs at home, our local community, our tribal leaders come together as a whole. Josephina Frank is chairwoman of the Bear River Band of the Rohnerville Rancheria. And it's important that everyone here in this room and outside of this room understand that our people are important. And it's important that we're all here to discuss all of this and to work together and to build those relationships and creating those memorandum of understandings with all of the tribes, whether that be in Northern California, where we're located, and Southern California, we all should be working together. I'm extremely thankful for the Feather Alert because it has helped in many cases, but the reality of it is also there's a lot of data that's not provided. Vice Chairwoman Raquel Williams of the Wilton Rancheria reflected on progress made in one year, but also says there's much more work to do. Incredible progress has been made in such a short amount of time, and we've brought not only awareness, but an actual real action to help put an end to this crisis. But we can't stop now. We must continue to train tribal members, the general public, and all levels of law enforcement on how to properly utilize this important tool so that alerts may be issued in a more timely manner. And we must increase funding and wraparound services when recognizing that these feather alerts, there's still a much needed healing and care for the victims and their families. We must continue to work together to ensure that future generations will not have to live in the same fear that we share today. 
Assemblymember James Ramos, who authored legislation creating the notification system, held the hearing after the press conference, where discussions focused on successes, challenges, and needs. An area Ramos noted improvement on is making tribes and the general public aware of the feather alert. He also says improvements are needed in bridging communication gaps among various law enforcement agencies and tribes. U.S. Alaska Representative Mary Peltola has announced her bid to run for re-election. In 2022, Peltola made history when she won a special election to finish out the late Congressman Don Young's term. Peltola became the first Alaska native to win a seat in Congress and was later elected to her first full term. Last January, she took the oath of office beside her husband, Jean Peltola Jr., who died eight months later in a plane crash. Peltola returned to work a month later, still grieving, but said she was ready to carry on. In a statement, Peltola, who's a Democrat, said she'll campaign as a bipartisan and wants to build upon the legacy of two Alaskan senators, the late Ted Stevens and Frank Murkowski, as well as Congressman Young. Paltola faces two Republican challengers. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, LLP, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for over 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Lakota-made indigenous first medicines and eco-friendly personal care products are small batch prepared in the Lakota traditions using sustainably harvested natural and organic ingredients and all can be found at lakotamade.com who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. I'm not a huge NFL fan, but I do pay more attention during the playoffs leading up to the Super Bowl. The stakes don't get much higher than this weekend when four teams will battle to determine who plays for the Lombardi Trophy. But a situation that ruins the fan experience for some Native Americans is watching teams that insist on building their brands around Native names and images, along with the affiliated fan interpretations of those brands. The Kansas City Chiefs are one of the last few big league teams that unapologetically use native imagery. And despite the team's official stance to limit game day antics like cartoonish headdresses and chants, they are still a major part of what Kansas City fans bring to game day. If Kansas City isn't budging, despite pressure to do so, is there any hope for the hundreds of derogatory names at the high school, college, and minor league levels? That's the focus of today's conversation. Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us from Lawrence, Kansas, is Rhonda Lovaldo. She is the founder of Not In Our Honor, and she is Acmo Pueblo. Hello, Rhonda. Welcome back to NAC. Thanks for having me. Joining us from Springfield, Massachusetts, is Laurel Davis Delano. She is a professor of sociology at Springfield College. Hello, Laurel. Hello. How's everybody doing? We're all doing great, Laurel. Thank you. And joining us from Dallas, Texas, is Peggy Larney. 
She is the founder of the American Indian Heritage Day state law in Texas, and she is Choctaw. Welcome to the show, Peggy. Thank you, and I'm happy to be here. Glad to have you. Rhonda, let's go ahead and start this conversation now. Not in our honor. That is a movement that you started to address cultural awareness issues with the Kansas City football team. And you're in Lawrence, which isn't too far from Kansas City. What kinds of behaviors and attitudes do you see from fans of the team? Well, you know, we have people, when we're standing out there protesting, we have people that come up to us and start doing the chop in our face, um, try to get argumentative. And, um, yeah, it's it's crazy uh, behavior, or they try and, um, I don't know, figure out that we don't know who the team is named after. Like, we haven't been in this fight for 18 years. and Like, we, we need their education on the fact that they're named after uh, Roe Bartle, a past mayor who started uh, a fake Indian tribe for the Boy Scouts, and they think that we don't know who he is. And so it's kind of just a weird mesh of things that we encounter. Now, Rhonda, you've protested there at games at the stadium. You're also there in Lawrence. You're organizing. And I'm just curious because you think of how big that stadium is and how many fans will pile in there for a home game on a Sunday. Could you give us an idea like about what percentage of the Kansas City fans would you classify in that category of just being really unapologetic and, and actually belligerent with regard to their um, just total disregard for the viewpoints of you and other Native people who don't support that team logo and mascot and all the antics? I would probably say maybe 85%. Um, there are people who understand what we're doing. And they agree with us and, and they come up to us and tell us that, um, you know, there are people who understand the fight and they've gone on. We did have a petition um, that we had online to sign and we've had a lot of people in the community who agree with us. So it's not 100 percent who who are, you know, disrespectful to us. I would say it's about 85 percent, maybe 85 percent. OK, thank you, Rhonda. Laurel, I want to ask you because um, there's so many viewpoints with regard to native team images, mascots, names, and you've actually done research. So you have data with regard to the impact of what these mascots do to native people and society at large. What have you learned? Well, um, I am not alone. There's a team of both native and non-native scholars who study this. Um, so what um, uh, Joseph Gahn, Stephanie Freiberg, and myself did is summarize the research on effects of the mascots. And so I can tell you uh, the overall set of findings, um, which are not just my own. Um, so there's so some of the studies look at direct effects on Native people, um, Native young people in general, and those show that exposure to native mascots decreases self-esteem among native youth, um, decreases the capacity to imagine future achievements, decreases faith in one's native community, and increases negative feelings like stress, just, you know, hostility, depression. Um, and so 
those findings generally suggest that mascots create a hostile climate uh, for at least some Native people. Um, then there's even more research on the effects on non-Native people, and sometimes these samples are only white people, and sometimes they're a mixture of um, people. And there's three main sets of findings from this body of research. One is, despite the claims of mascot supporters, um, the findings are that mascots, uh, Native mascots, are associated with negative thoughts and stereotypes about Native Americans. The second main finding is that exposure to Native mascots increases negative stereotypes of Native Americans. And the third main finding is that uh, if you compare non-Native people who support Native mascots to non-Native people who uh, oppose Native mascots, the supporters are more prejudiced against um, Native Americans mm -hmm. than the opponents. And the supporters are less apt to support Native rights, like tribal nation sovereignty, um, compared to the opponent. Okay. And so the, when you just add these findings to the prior findings, um, you can see that there's also an indirect effect um, operating through how they affect non-Native people. Laurel, so often the argument of people that, that don't want to hear these arguments against these mascots and these names is, hey, look, we're celebrating, we're honoring. Uh, in fact, I mean, Rhonda named her movement, not in our honor. That's what they're trying to say, that, you know, that we're, we're trying to present this positive image of uh, this Native culture through this fandom that we celebrate. Did you find any research or any data at all that reveals there are any positive outcomes from these team names and mascots, or is it all negative? It is actually all negative. And this is a large number of researchers, you know, um, working together with other researchers or independently, all negative. And what about with regard to just Native people? Because I, I do meet a lot of Native people who are opposed, but then I meet Native people who, who support these teams and are big fans. Do you have any data to kind of just show where collectively we as Native people fall on this issue? Well, one thing is that the supporters often cite public media polls, um, which are not valid studies. Um, so... Um, uh, Stephanie Freiberg and a team uh, have an article uh, kind of examining Native opinion, which shows that the majority of Native people oppose. And we, um, I'm part of a team led by Adrian Keene, and we have a journal article under review in which we um, made sure uh, like took more than the average measures to make sure that our participants were actually native. And um, we found that uh, about 15% supported native mascots, uh, about 50% opposed and a significant percent, you know, selected neither. If we remove that neither group, like they neither support nor oppose, um, then there's, we found 77% oppose and 23% support. So, um, so, you know, but in general, a lot of researchers think that, um, that 
generally opinion polls aren't the primary issue. The -hmm. primary issue is whether these mascots, what the effects are. And if the effects are harmful, then that really matters. And the other thing that matters, of course, is to ask Native nations (laughs) and bodies that represent many Native nations, like the National Congress of American Indians. Um, You know, because all polls, it's not possible to poll everybody. Right, right, yeah. Rhonda, I want to ask you, we're going to take a break here in about another minute and a half, but so that data there, when you remove the people that are, are kind of like non-committal to their opinion, uh, overwhelmingly Native people are, are against these mascots as opposed to those who support more than 70% versus barely over 20% are in support. And you've worked on this issue for a long time since you were a student at Haskell. Have you seen that momentum change with among Native people, more Native people moving to the side of, hey, we're not cool with this. We don't want these mascots. We don't want these team names. Yeah, definitely. And I see a lot of the movement with our young people who recognize the problems with it. Um, I think a lot of the older generations are the ones who are in support of um, Native mascots. We're going to take a short break here. And uh, are you watching the playoffs this weekend? Are you going to watch the NFC playoffs or the AFC playoffs? Are you looking forward to the Super Bowl? Have you thought about this whole issue with regard to team names? Uh, Periodically, we do these shows, keep this issue fresh in in the minds of our audience. And we also have guests who come in with expertise. And uh, we're going to have a lot more discussion on the show today. Uh, We're just getting started. But I encourage anybody with a question or a comment or any perspective you have with regard to the use of offensive native team mascots, imagery, game day antics, give us a call, share your thoughts, let us know what you think. Our phone number to the Albuquerque studio, 1-800-996-2848. A revolutionary group in Mexico standing up for indigenous rights isn't in the news much these days. But when the Zapatistas burst onto the scene 30 years ago, they garnered worldwide attention. We'll look back on three decades of the Zapatista movement and how it changed recognition of indigenous people forever. That's on the next Native America Calling. Are you a Native American healthcare provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin an advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass in somatic archaeology uses the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach providing powerful modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 1st. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. We're wading into the sports mascot discussion again today. It's prompted by the Kansas City AFC playoff game coming up this weekend. Do you think there's progress raising awareness about using Native names in sports? Do you care? As a Native person, where do you place team names and mascots on your list of important issues? Let us know by calling 1-800-996-2848. One of our guests today, Dr. Laurel, Professor Laurel Davis Delano, 
is a sociology professor at Springfield College. And Laurel, I know you're paying attention to legislation, uh, different forms of legislation around the country regarding mascots. Uh, Any updates? What's going on there on the legislative front? Well, there's definitely been some progress there. Um, You know, we have more um, mascot bills at the state level, and New York State recently um, didn't use legislation, um, but they created regulations through their, uh, you know, their state Department of Education um, to create a ban. And all the bans are different. They all have some differences to them, um, and some are stronger than others. Um, There's even, I think, a state that that like affirmed the native mascots with some vote that they had. Um, but these bills are really important because most people that are not native do not understand this issue, especially in communities where there are very few native people, which is often where these mascots are. And um, and it's very hard to change the the um, the mascot at the local mascots at the local level. And it is really hostile for Native people that are in these communities working on these issues. And it's just an uphill battle. And so there's even been some towns recently that voted out their Native mascot. Then the school committee members lost their seats, and then they voted back in the mascot. Um, so it, it's a really tough situation at the local level. So civil rights legislation at the state level is helpful. Federal level would be even more helpful. Now, do you notice, you know, right now our country's so divided politically, you've got red states, you've got blue states. Do you notice any correlation with regard to how these bills are, are embraced with regard to just the overall political climate in these different states throughout the country? Well, somewhat, you know, there's some, um, quote, liberal states like the one I'm in that haven't yet passed a mascot bill. Um, And there's some moderate states that do have mascot bills. So I think it's kind of the bills lean left, but, um, you know, there's no kind of absolute rule going on here. Well, Laurel, really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I know you've got to run off to a meeting, so uh, thanks again. I'm just curious. You're going to watch the big game on Sunday? I am not. All right. Okay. <laughs> Laurel Davis Delano, professor of sociology at Springfield College in Springfield, Massachusetts. Let's go ahead and go to the phones now where we have Chanupa listening to Keeley Radio in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Hello, Chanupa. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Sean. You know, many years ago, me and the late Russell Means, we stood up in North Dakota against changing the name to the Fighting Sioux. And at one of them college up there around Bismarck and Minot, the children are the ones that contacted Russell. And I think one of his nieces or granddaughters was going to school there at that time. And so he contacted me. He needed help to expose what they were doing. But the derogatory term, Sioux, people, if they do the math to it, it's really pronounced Nadewasu. It's a, you know, Ojibwe term and a French term when they called us a venomous snake or a treacherous snake. So that, we find it assaulting. So when they changed that, they contacted Russell and said, hey, okay, we agree with this. The college is going to 
diminish the name. And so from that point on, we've done a number of things to demonstrate these issues when it comes to people, especially ours, when you get uh, very derogatory with these statements. And one of the things, like the Super Bowl that's coming up, people need to be really aware of what's going to happen in that because a lot of the Caucasian folks and people of color are going to demonstrate something differently overall. And that's what I wanted to do because it is offensive to the Native people. Like they say, and you are going to hurt our people's feelings. So that's if if people can do what me and Russell did, you can change anything for future generations to come. Thank you for taking my call, Sean, and have a good day. And I'm going to listen in. Hokahe from Pine Ridge. All right, I appreciate that call, Tanoop. And I remember the uh, University of North Dakota there, uh, and I thought they weren't going to change that mascot. They fought that so hard, but but like you mentioned, the team is now known as the University of North Dakota Fighting Hawks, and uh, they changed that whole logo, all the branding, uh, the team name, everything. And Rhonda, our caller, Chanupa, I mean, it's interesting how, like, you know, some of these teams – they change and others don't. I mean, I'm thinking like you know, the Washington Commanders a few years ago, and I thought they'd never change either, but they did. And then you had uh, the Cleveland Guardians, the baseball team, they changed. And then you have a team like Kansas City, and they're just, nope, nope, no, nope, they're just pushing back. Why do you think that is? Why is it that some teams, some universities are just, you know, they're more open to for discussion and others just, just will not have the conversation? Well, I think it has to go to ownership as well. Uh, Kansas City has a different ownership structure. They're owned by um, a family. And so um, they don't want to give in to to that pressure. Um, And it's just kind of a, you know, a weird thing because they want to say they are helping um, Native communities. Like they will go. Uh, to tribal communities to do, like, you know, presentations and stuff like that. But, you know, that's not in the bigger picture. You're not being inclusive to Native people that live in the community. And one of them is that, you know, the Kansas City Indian Center has been there for the longest time, but they will not talk to them. So are you really helping the community then, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. your community? So it's just a weird structure. And Rhonda, you've been in, in this fight for a number of years, and, and right now, like, how pleased are you with your progress? I mean, do, do you feel that you're making headway, or have you lost momentum? Are you kind of stalled? Where are you at right now? I think we, we have made some inroads, especially um, during, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, there was a lot of push, you know, with the NFL um, systemic um racism um, issues and and things that were going on. And so I think that helped. Um, But it doesn't help their look when they're putting hashtag and racism on their helmets or on their field, you know, on the field. And it's it's just ironic. Um, I, I think one of the things that came up was when you had that young boy who was wearing a headdress and had half his face painted red and black. Mm-hmm. And so they were trying to defend it, saying that, 
um, his grandparents are native. And Wilbur was like, but that's not the, the headdress that that tribe wears. And I was really glad the tribe spoke out against it. Um, but it's also ignited more people to wear headdresses where Kansas City says they don't allow headdresses, but we see people walking in. So who's going to police that? Right, right. Well, another big development there, <laughs> for anybody who's at all dialed into the pop culture world, of course, mega superstar Taylor Swift, uh, I think she's engaged now to a Kansas City player. And uh, you've you've made headlines, Rhonda. You've been quoted in, in Rolling Stone and TMZ uh, that you'd like to get some awareness going and that perhaps Taylor Swift could be a catalyst to make that happen. What's the plan there to bring in somebody with the influence and the significance, pop culture speaking wise, of Taylor Swift in this fight? Well, she's known to, um, you know, uh, address movements. And so that's what we wanted to do with, you know, her, her Swifties fans and um, reach out to her through TMZ and ask her to, hey, like, you're an outside person um, coming into this community and you you under understand why it's problematic because she won't do the chop when they do the chop. Um, so she knows that, but at the same time she hasn't spoken about it. And um, you know that's uh, when we were we were outside the stadium the very first time she came, and we saw the whole entourage come in, and we were joking around. I'm like, hey, that's probably Taylor Swift, not realizing it really was Taylor Swift. And, um, you know, we were like, let's, let's do a statement. And so we were lucky that um, TMZ promoted that statement for us and really um, hit another notch level of, of, you know, getting people aware of what we're doing. Like, we appreciated that. But, you know, we'll see what happens um, if they win on Sunday, which I hope they don't. <laughs> Okay. Have you had any success connecting, communicating with Taylor Swift at all at this point? No. All right. Let's take another call. Let's take another caller now. We have Leo, who is listening on station WOJB in northern Wisconsin. Hello, Leo. Hello. Do you hear me? Yeah, Leo. Hello? Yep, we can hear you. Okay. Yeah. My question is, I, I'm Irish. I'm, I'm not Native American, but I uh, I was wondering if the tribes would uh, get together and come up with a, a a name for that everybody would agree on something like wild horse or courage or but it's in their language, and then present that to the owners of these teams and maybe something would be an involvement for it would be more community involved. Um, uh, I was, I was out at uh, Bear Butte in 87 and I, we met a college professor out there who was telling us about how the powwows of all the, the grassland tribes would meet there and try to discuss different things. It was very, you know, very uh, enlightening and historical. And I was saying, what if, 
the tribe did something similar to that to come up with one name that was easy to pronounce and maybe an, an evolution would happen to the community, to okay, all Leo. communities. That's, that's you know, an interesting... Put that forward. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for calling in, Leo. That's an interesting perspective. And Rhonda, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Um, I mean... Well, first of all, I'd like to ask you, I mean, what is it that you would like to see happen there with Kansas City? What does that team need to do? I mean, just spell it out for us, step one, two, and three. What do they need to do to uh, to handle this the way you feel it should be handled? And what is the possibility of, you know, perhaps getting tribal input, native input with regard to a new name? So we, um, you know, our our ultimate goal is just to change the name and to cultural appropriation of native people um, everything they just need to get rid of everything that they do um, and so that's our ultimate goal when it comes to names um, so we have the Kansas City Royals and you know they go on with this uh, they call itself the kingdom so I was like why don't they just stay with that type of moniker being like the Kansas City Kings. And so, um, but that's not, you know, that's not our job to change, you know, to t come up with a name for them. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, what we want is just for them to get rid of the name and stop all the cultural appropriation. I'm going to go ahead and read a comment now on our Facebook page. This is from Jay, who says, as long as they do, and I assume Jay means use these team names, the team owners, the players, and fans who support the name are racists, plain and simple. The name and the fan antics, war paint, war cry, headdress, tomahawk chop, all racist and a mockery. That goes for every other professional college or school team that disparages tribal people. And yeah, you're always going to get Native people who support the racist mascots. I mean, that's a loyal fan. Just wish they could see beyond the end of their own noses. That was on our Facebook page. Interesting perspective. If you've got a perspective to share, give us a call, 1-800-99-NATIVE, or comment on our Facebook. Rhonda, what's the hardest part of this work? I mean, describing, I mean, you've been harassed verbally. You've also had people target you on social media. That's got to be a lot to take. Yeah, it's, it's it's difficult. I think we have to take a mental health break every every time. Um, you know, we're we're ending the season. Um, I know we were at Super Bowl last year, and that was really uh, crazy. But it's just you know we have to we have to support one another. And uh, um, my people that I work with, we we always talk about things and um, try and support one another you know, through text messages and stuff like that. But, yeah, I get people who, um, you know, target me on, on social media, um, try and, you know, try and uh, copy all my pictures and make up fake accounts. And it's really, it's really tiring and um, a little bit of, you know, okay, how long can I take this for? But mm -hmm. I, I think for the most part, I, I, I consider myself a strong Acoma woman, and I'm going to continue. 
What's kind of interesting too is I would imagine, you know, the team is really successful right now. They're coming off a Super Bowl win. You know, they're, they're playing for the Super Bowl, the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl now. I would imagine that, that when the team performs really well like it does now, it just gives you more of an opportunity and more of a platform to get your issue out there. It does, but it also, it, I think it, it doesn't help because then you have more people um, trying to support them. I also just can't stand the fact that these um, stereotypes are going all around the world and people think it's okay and creating more fandom. So that's the bad part about it. Mm-hmm. Well, we got our phone lines open and we are taking calls, 1-800-996-2848. Let us know your thoughts, your perspective with regard to Native American team names, mascots, and logos. Uh, here's another comment from Facebook here from Jim. All I've read these last couple of years with the success of Res Dogs, Dark Winds, and Killers of the Flower Moon is representation matters. When it comes to Native mascots, they seemly seem to get a pass. Utah, Utes, Florida State University, Kansas City. We can do it. See any res school. If you give us a few trinkets of cash, we'll let you do it too. Okay, that's an interesting perspective from Jim on Facebook. If you've got something to share, we're waiting for your call. 1-800-996-2848. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org, whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling today. Still time to get into our conversation about team mascots. Call in at 1-800-996-2848. Our next guest, Peggy Larney, is the founder of the American Indian Heritage Day State Law in Texas. Peggy, hello, and thank you again for joining our show. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Texas. There are NFL teams there, two of them, the Texans and the Cowboys. I'm just interested, how pervasive is the issue of offensive mascots there where you live? Dallas... Um, well, here in Texas, we're in a situation where many people don't believe there's Indians still alive. There's uh, people that don't think that Indians uh, really live in the city of Dallas. And then we have a lot of Mexican Indians that are wanting to be Indians. And so we have different gamut of identity. And I think an identity is one of our big problems in today's with the mascots and everything else, because a lot of the Indians desperately want to be Indians were wearing, like, baseball caps with the various racist uh, logos, jackets, and still a lot of them do because they've they're got to be too assimilated, especially the ones that live on uh, the relocation cities. I believe they have got too assimilated. And then with a lot of our Indians marrying into different ethnicities, they're beginning to lose that 
identity of Indian sovereignty, Indian identification. The Indian part could have been there, then away from their tribal uh, government. Then sometimes money comes into the play. We don't have the money to make a difference. We've noticed, you know, even with the Washington team, money finally came into play, started taking away their money, then they finally set up and started listening. Indians have no power to take away the money, from uh, whether it's from advertising, big companies, political. We don't have political influencers. We may Peggy, have a few, but, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I want to ask you more about, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying with regard to uh, you know the lack of awareness there in tech. Not not huge numbers of Native people, perhaps, in Texas, uh, like in some other parts of the country. So tell us more about this American Indian Heritage Day, the state law in Texas, and how is that related to uh, these issues we're talking about today with mascots and team names? The mission statement for the American Indian Heritage Day in Texas is that it is our mission to educate, to uh, do presentations and to advocate for American Indian heritage and culture. And this especially addressed to the non-natives because they need to be aware of, to be educated. And then that things with our Indians. So we try to address anything that comes into our organization. So that goes from mascots all the way down to just uh, lack of information. And so we have... Uh, uh, very good uh, resp- uh, power influence in the state of Texas, but not like it should be. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and take and a caller. Not- All right, Peggy, I'm going to take another caller. This is Jen, who's listening online in East Texas. Hello, Jen. Thank you, Sean, very much for accepting my call. I, I'm so happy to hear my friend Peggy Larney on Native America calling. I, I have support the American Indian Heritage Day in Texas very much uh, after moving back to East Texas from the Austin area, where there are uh, large numbers of intertribal Indians in Austin. But in East Texas, the where I live, uh, which is like uh, 80 miles from Dallas, there's a lot of people who like to claim they're Indians. They remember that we had Indians here who fought a large battle to stay in Texas and lost it to the Texas military. But there are still people who came back and raised their children here. They have businesses that they call them uh, Cherokee and and that sort of thing. And, and there are schools in East Texas, Southeast Texas, where I grew up uh, near Beaumont, Texas, who still display mascots that are very harmful uh, during their football games. And I feel like that, and they they claim that they've had the authority to do this through uh, the past principal chiefs of the Cherokee Nation, which is not true. The Cherokee Nation has written them letters and told them it is not so. And yet it's going to take some ground roots uh, people work to, to make this happen throughout Texas. And I, I think that as long as the national football players are are the ones that young school teams look up to, and as long as they don't give up their mascots, then uh, we have to work with the kids in trying to get them to understand why it's important to give up the mascots. And I'm very willing to 
get get on board with Peggy and start some sort of um, uh, uh, some sort of effort in in clearing it up with Beaumont, Texas high school down there because it's bothered me for years and I can't do it alone. So I'm looking for anybody who will work with me on that project. And um, I thank you so much for all the work that Pe- Peggy has done through all these years. And we've worked together before and um, looking forward to working with her again, but we must keep up the hard work. And I thank you, Peggy. Well, Peggy, uh, Jen has uh, a lot of complimentary words for you and also questions uh, about this high school in East Texas. Uh, can you give us more information? Well, the school, uh, Texas, uh, <clears throat> the school in East Texas, being the uh, Port uh, Notches, uh, they have appeared at Disneyland uh, several years ago, and uh, that's where I think their notice at the national level started. Uh, in Disneyland Adventure last year had uh, said they were not invited anymore to this particular school. Uh, different very uh, different organizations have written a letter, and in fact, an organization wrote a letter on Facebook, and nobody responded uh, to us and uh, supported doing away with because it uh, is very demeaningful to Indians. And here again. Uh, with our various schools in the state of Texas, the school district doesn't address them. It's left up to each school district to do so. Uh, there's hardly no Indians on any school board, so that makes it hard. We do have people that support us, but uh, they don't come forward either. Mm-hmm. Peggy, what got you started doing this kind of work? Well, there's two things that started. Uh, one year there was a very popular morning radio show that uh, they started them on the Monday morning. I used to listen, but this time I didn't. And their statement was, what would your Indian name be caught at, if you were caught at your most embarrassing moment? I understand that it started getting worse and worse and worse as it started. And uh, the DJ had started with, my name would be my mother-in-law catching me peeing behind the barnyard. And they said, God, raunchy, raunchy. And, of course, the Indians didn't like it because a lot of our Plains Indians, this is a very sacred ceremony, very sacred uh, name-giving. And um, from there, our community came together. We got uh, uh, finally the radio program uh, the following Friday to give us a lunch hat and compliment, not to the Indians, not to the Indian organizations, but just saying they wouldn't do it again. From there... uh, a little bit later, at uh, our, I worked for the Dallas Independent School District, working with the American Indian School. At the beginning of our school rally, uh, all the schools were invited, and of course, they brought the high schools brought their mascot. One mascot comes at uh, just before the superintendent came out, there was in an ugly goatee's mask, Indian mask. Mm-hmm. From there, I talked to our parent advisory committee and to my staff, and we filed a complaint internally to our superintendent. We didn't have to meet with the superintendent. We didn't have to go through the board. He assigned his assistant to work especially with us. And within two years, we were very quietly and internally were able to remove 10 Indian mascot schools, 10 schools with Indian mascots and our logos. And the school, uh, if any of the um, activities involved school budget, 
DIC was willing to move their budget to where it would uh, immediately address that. So we were very fortunate. However, not many people are aware that we had done this. Okay. And that's what got me started. And, of course, from their word of mouth, got throughout the state. And I get used to get a lot of calls from child retiring. I still do, even after being retired. Peggy, I, I want to ask you another question. So right now, we're, and we even had that Facebook comment earlier with regard to they referenced res dogs. And then there's been other, some other really big, high-profile shows. Just a lot of indigenous representation right now in the media. I mean, that Echo series that just came out, those are your people being profiled, the Choctaw. Do you see um, any of that, any of that increased awareness with television and film? Do you see any of that carrying over to these team names and mascots? Well, first thing I want to say that I'm very glad that this younger generation has got out there and is moving forward. I'm hoping that's what our uh, past generation has put into them and have challenged them because we have had no voice. And so they're doing that. And uh, with some of that, uh, you know, with uh, Bass Reeve, we just barely heard the Indians and Choctaws uh, used, and then it went on. But they did utilize the Indian involvement. With Echo, uh, we were very glad because they did work with our tribal people to make sure that accuracy came into play and mm-hmm. that they were more conscientious with the, co- uh, with the uh, heritage and cultural presentation. So I think it is very much improving. And, of course, with our... Oscar nominee, that has given us a foot up to start where we should have been 20 to 30 years ago. However, going back to the mascots at the national level with the sports, there hardly has been any Indian football players to make any voice or even have the guts to do it if they were. And then, of course, as I said, no political power, no equities way back then. And uh, with uh, the organization that started uh, in Washington State, the Morning Star that started the uh, law attorney has uh, gone through many uh, okay. eras, but has made it a uh, power. So it's, it's improving. It's All right. Good. Thank you, Peggy. I'm sorry. I, we're going to have to take another caller here. We have Mike who's listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hi, Mike. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. I'm, I'm going to be brief because I know you're running out of time. But uh, I just wanted to say thank you for your show and for all the members of the show for putting on this subject of racism. Uh, it's a difficult subject. It needs to be confronted everywhere it is. And I'm, I personally would like to know how I can do what I can do to help the effort to combat racism in this form. I, I'm deeply disturbed by the fact that the fa- a family owns this, comp- this uh, football team and a family is perhaps – teaching the older generations or teaching the younger generations how to be racist. And it disturbs me deeply. And I want to know what can I do to help confront this racism? All right. Thanks for calling in, Mike. Uh, Back to Rhonda Lovaldo. Rhonda, where can our listeners go to learn more about Not In Our Honor or any other efforts to address the Kansas City team name? Yeah, they can go to notinourhonor.com. We also have um, where our our petition is andracismkc.org, and they can sign on to that. But on our on our personal website, um, there's a way to sign up to receive information. Um, and if they want to inquire about, again, um, efforts that we're doing uh, to try and 
get rid of uh, this team name and its cultural appropriation. I do want to say that uh, one of the things, you know, the stereotypes, um, we were outside one day and, and protesting, and this lady asked, why do you guys want to change the name? We're like, because it's racist and offensive. And a guy walked by with behind her, and he goes, he's like, oh, well, you're not offended by that $30,000 check you received from the government. And we were like, what? Mm. I don't receive a $30,000 check. And it was, it was just crazy that this is what people think, and this is what we're trying to get rid of. Um, the other point I wanted to talk about that uh, Texas uh, high school um, they call their football field the reservation. Yeah, yeah, that I saw is, that. Yeah. So, yeah, that needs to go. Yeah, yeah, that's just next level for sure. Uh, Rhonda, I also want to ask you, because Peggy mentioned not having enough Native players in the NFL, but there's a, if I'm not mistaken, there is a, a Native player on the Kansas City team, right? And I, I know in the past you've reached out. Have you had any success connecting with that player with regard to this issue? No, no, none whatsoever. All righty. Uh, and, of course, Taylor Swift, the Taylor Swift factor. You just never can tell. I don't know, Rhonda, maybe when, you know, the honeymoon wears off with her and her, uh, her player, husband, fiancé, boyfriend guy, maybe she'll be more amenable. I don't know. What do you think? hope so i mean uh we'll still continue to try and uh, use that and um on social media posts you know trying to get her awareness of the situation and how detrimental it is to our young people but yeah (laughs) all righty well we've got time to read another facebook post this is from delane who puts the message down on facebook how about the kc fighting whiteys Hmm, that's something to think about. That's a maybe, who knows? Uh, but we are out of time now, and uh, I want to thank all of our guests who joined us today, Rhonda Lovaldo, Professor Laurel Davis Delano, and Peggy Larney, along with our callers who contributed to the conversation as well with regard to team names and mascots with the NFL team Kansas City and other teams as well, college and professional. We're going to be back here on Native America Calling again tomorrow, reflecting on the indigenous rights movement in Mexico that exploded onto the scene 30 years ago this month. The Zapatistas changed the direction of politics and human rights, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Pursuing a degree in higher education is attainable, and with a scholarship from Native Forward Scholars Fund, it is more affordable. From aerospace to veterinary medicine, as the largest direct scholarship provider to Native students in the U.S., Native Forward has empowered over 22,000 students from over 500 tribes in all 50 states in pursuit of their undergraduate, graduate, and professional degrees. Info and applications at nativeforward.org, who support this show. 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.